0: You can be seated. Well, as I said earlier, we were starting a series called Carols, and last week we did a song. Y'all remember the song, anybody? Band, do y'all remember the song y'all did last week? You weren't here. What was the song? Oh. Wow. Wow. All right. See, see, they're so weary. They didn't even know they didn't play last week. <laughs> Caught you. Awesome. So this week, our song is Oh Holy Night. This idea of on one night, the world paused and stopped for this baby. And so what I want to do this morning to get you started, get you warmed up, we already figured out that the band's weary. They can't even remember if they played or not. All right, so I'm going to see how weird you are. Whenever I'm going to count to three, and at at three, I want you just at the top of your best singing voice or your most joyous singing voice, I want you to sing out your favorite song, okay? So if it's Oh Holy Night, you just sing out that little phrase, or Silent Night, and from that, we'll vote on which song, which one of you are going to be in choir or not, and then which one is our favorite song, okay? Are you all ready for this? Your coffee's going, okay? No one's listening to your voice, because they're more worried about their voice than your voice anyway, all right? So one, two, three. All right. So we're not going to have a choir anytime soon, but I think I heard Silent Night, Oh Holy Night. Somebody said, Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. I don't know. So here we go. We're thinking about carols, and tonight, today we're thinking about Old Holy Night. And originally, some have thought that Martin Luther wrote this song, but actually he didn't. Um, Old Holy Night was a poem written by, written by uh, Mr. Placide Capot. He's a French poet. Midnight Christians was actually the poet poem that he wrote, and then he wrote this to the same rhythm. Of that one. And it was written in 1843 in the French town of Rockmore. And the reason that they wrote it, it was commissioned because they wanted to, uh, they had just redone the organ in that church, in that parish church in that town. And so they wanted to whiz bang it and have a new song. And so they wrote this song, and here they played it. And, and a few years later, actually, they had one of the leading opera singers, um, Mrs. Emily Laurie, which I know y'all play her 42s, y'all love her. And, uh, she's the first one to sing it in that church. And so, it's a song of great heritage from 1843 that we've sung. It has some great words to it. In the very beginning, it says this, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. In other words, that there's, there's the, the weariness of the world is because of the sin, because of our error. And they're waiting for, they're they're anticipating, they're expecting a Savior to come. And the next part, it says, till he appeared and our soul felt its worth. Now, this is a two-edged thing for us because the soul felt its worth. One is because of the fact that we recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And when we encounter the Messiah, when we encounter God, we realize that we're not God And that there's this, we recognize our sin and the error of our ways and who we are. And so there's that. But then there's also the positive side of it. Because of that, we recognize we need a Savior. And that our soul has great worth because it's been redeemed or it can be redeemed by Jesus. And so because of that, our worth is even more so when it's redeemed. Now here's the passage, the part of this song that I want us to, to think most about today. It's this, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now, we live in a culture, we live in a world that is weary, right? How many of you are weary? There you go. Over here. They've got it down. They know what weary is. Weary is several different things. So, one, we're physically weary. Now calm down over there. Don't be too excited about being weary. Weary is obviously we get tired. This is a season where we kind of like just stop and you want to take a nap or whatever. There's that. But then there's also a a weariness of the soul. And researchers are telling us that we have a depth of weariness of soul like they've never seen before, and because it's, it's impacting our mental health, it's impacting our spiritual health, and so more people are struggling with things. And one of the things that they're talking about, one of the reasons is because we have more stories. We are overwhelmed by stories in the world more than ever before. So our grandparents or great-grandparents, they did not hear, they did not have access to the stories of the world like we do. So you turn on the news, you turn on... Twitter, you turn whatever, and we're gaining all of this information. And all of this information, all of these stories, we own them, and they become a part of our story. And it actually wearies our soul to know all this stuff. Because think about your grandparents. They didn't know. They had to read the newspaper. They got a couple of stories here and there. But now we know 24-7 what's going on in the world. We know there's, there's a shooting. We know there's a tsunami. We know about this. We know about that. And all of that stuff We own it. The moment that we read it, we own it. It begins to weary us, and we want to solve it. We want to fix it, and we can't, and we don't have control, and so it wearies us. And so then it impacts not only our soul but our mental health and our spiritual health, and so we are a wearied culture, and naps do not fix a wearied soul. And so this song, the truths of this song are even more apparent than ever before, is that we truly need more than ever to push pause and to rest. To not just physically rest and take naps, but the the beauty of the idea that God put in place a long time ago of Sabbath, for us to just rest In him, because in that rest, we're not creating anything. We're not doing anything to prove our worth or value. Our identity in that moments of rest are truly found in him and being a child of his. Because we're not producing anything. We're just being us in his presence. And so a weary world can rejoice because of that. We're weary people. And today, days like today, are perfect for us us to push pause now some of you are thinking man i'm i'm pushing pause for just a little bit But as soon as chris is done I've got things to do because my google list is already i've got things to buy families coming over I'm going to watch a game where whoever's going to lose and you've got all this stuff And you're thinking about your christmas parties for the week and all this and so you're not really pausing and stopping And letting your soul rest we need to find some time in our rhythms to truly just stop and to spend time with family, to spend time with friends and, and to have meals and to eat and to just be and to not run to and fro. The weariness of the world is is weighing on us. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to the book of Lamentations. It's not a book that we go to very often, but the book of Lamentations is a book written by Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was known as the weeping prophet, his book named after him, but also the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations is just that. It's lamenting. It's weeping. It's crying. It's about the weary world. And so the weariness of Jeremiah's world, this is about 586 B.C., and uh, Jerusalem has fallen, and so imagine Jeremiah being a prophet, and he's lamenting with all of his friends. He's lamenting that his place of worship is gone. He's lamenting that his community center is gone. His way of life is gone. And so you can imagine if if just something happened to Lagrange, and and we were just we didn't have the community that we had, and we were trying to rebuild literally from nothing. This is where Jeremiah is. That this is the weariness of his soul, and he's overwhelmed by it, and so he's crying out to God. And so in the old days, they used to journal and used to write things out. So this is also something that researchers have told us is something we need to recapture actually as a culture is we need to start actually writing things down again and slowing our minds and our hearts down. As we begin to write, we begin to actually get into the depths of our heart and our soul and not just by typing, but actually by writing. And so here Jeremiah is writing down. And so this is one of his thoughts in verse 10 of chapter three says this, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without hope. Now, that's pretty vivid language, isn't it? That's pretty vivid language of like, listen, if you've had a bad day, it's like a bear mangling you and a lion dragging you down and whooping you and leaving you for dead. That's the image that Jeremiah has. Look, look this is how weary, this is how downtrodden I am, is it feels like I just got beat to death out in the woods and camping. And continues on. It doesn't get any better. He drew his bow and he made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. So have you ever ever felt like this? Is that you're the target and everybody's just picking on you? And nothing you can do, nothing you could say. And everywhere you turn, someone's just poof, poof. So not only here, Jeremiah's like, listen, I'm mangled, I'm left for dead. And then the moment that I begin to get up, there's just arrows flying at me. And I'm dodging them and I'm being attacked from every corner, from every angle. Nothing in my life is going right. That's Jeremiah. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. That's a bad day. You go to H-E-B and they're singing behind your back. You ever felt like that? Like they're talking about you. As soon as you go around the corner, those arrows, the bear and lion are waiting. Even the thing that he went to to bring refreshment to him. listen to this. I was a laughing stock; they mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. The very thing that he would go to to bring refreshment was bitter, and uh, literally spit it out. That's the weariness. The things that he would normally go to to bring refreshment. He would spit out because it didn't taste. And so the same thing is true for us. The things that, that in the season of, of struggle, the very things that we think that we've run to in the past, that, hey, if I've done this or I've done that, I've gone to the gym or I've read a book or I've gone on vacation or I've X whatever, that has refreshed me. This time it doesn't even refresh. As a matter of fact, it just makes the situation work because you had to do more work to go on vacation. And you came back from work and all those people just made your life more miserable because you got more work when you come back, you know? So you drink of it and it's like, I can't even get refreshment. And that's Jeremiah. He's broken my teeth with gravel. In other words, even the things that I eat just, just breaks me apart. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've so long I've forgotten what prosperity is. But he can't even remember when he's had a good day. He can't even remember when things were going his way. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the lord i remember my affliction my wandering and the bitterness and the gall now that is weariness have you ever felt like this this is a season where for some this is an exciting season we're excited about the things of kids opening christmas presents and all the different good things the christmas songs and just enjoying family and all the different things but for some those same things also bring weariness I don't have the money for the Christmas presents. I don't really want my family around. I don't, and all this, I have loved ones that aren't here. And, and all of the different things that weigh on us, the weariness of our soul. But we see something interesting here in Lamentations chapter 3. And, and that here Jeremiah has been lamenting. He's been saying all these things that are make his soul weary. But then in the midst of this, in the midst of this reflection, look at verses 20 and following. He says, I will remember them well. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. These things I'm about to tell you. This is the reason that I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. In other words, in the midst of me writing this down, in the midst of me thinking about this, in the midst of me reflecting on the things that are making me weary, I'm reminded of the fact that God is with me. That God has shown himself faithful time and time again. And so not only has his great love not consumed me, but he's also compassion. His compassions for me never fail. Now here's one of the things that we need to grab. This is prayer. And So one of the things that we want so many times is in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our situations, we're here and we're saying, God, rescue me. God, I'm, my soul is weary. Remove me from this situation And bring me to this situation over here because, God, this is what I know that I need. God, I'm telling you, this is what I know that I need. This is the situation I want. This would be the best situation for me. And so, God, to get over here, though, you've got to remove me from this situation. And so many times our prayers begin with, God, remove me from this to get me here because this is where I want to be. And so we're over here lamenting. But in the midst of the lamenting, the midst of the struggle, the midst of this conversation with God is we get to this point many times where God says, Listen, I know that you think you need over here, but the place, the best place for you is right here in this situation, in this circumstance that you want to be rescued from because in this place you realize who I am and who you're not. And you realize that I am the one that is walking with you through this in the midst of this struggle, the midst of this strife. I am here with you, and this is what's transforming your heart. This is going to make you look and act and think a little bit more like me, a little bit more like my son Jesus, than quickly being removed over here and just kind of having a little party and thinking life is easy. But over here, the struggle and the weight is the thing that God wants for us. And our Father is there with us the entire time. The struggle and the wait. Because here's the deal. In the next part of this, says verse 23, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed by his for his compassions never fail. Verse 23, they are a new morning. There's a new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because see, you're over here, and you're weary, and you're tired, and it's dark, and it's night. And you think, I need to get, I need light. And the beauty of this here and stopping and pausing and struggling with God is that we recognize his faithfulness. We recognize his compassion. We recognize that times before the night, the darkest of night was right before the day came. And so here he allows us to struggle. He allows us to fight with us. And knowing that when we stop and struggle, we realize that he's in the night with us and that the very next day he's going to raise up and there's a new day and a new opportunity. But we can't experience this in the fullness. We can't appreciate the new morning if we don't walk through the darkness of the night. And that the reason that our faith can be stronger, the reason that we can do and be a part of some of the things that God wants for us is that we got to be able to take steps in the darkness of night that we could never even imagine taking. And the only way that we do that is trusting in him. And the way that it happens is we've walked with him in light. And then as he gets with us in the darkness, we can take these steps and knowing, listen, I may not even see the next step, but I can trust the God of the light and I can trust the God that's there with the night because he's also here with me in the night and he's going to hold my hand and walk with me. And even though I may not see it, he's taking me to this next place. And at some point, as I continue my journey and my walk through the night, he's with me. But at some point, the sun is going to raise up and I'm going to be in a different place and I'm going to enjoy that sunrise because i'm somewhere else that i never could have imagined and i never would have gotten to this place because in the darkness of night walking only by god's sight i've walked through dangers i've walked through things that if i had seen them and if i had understood them or comprehended i never would have been able to get over here and so sometimes the things that we think we want to get out of that would be easy god's like listen i have got you I need you to go through this so that you can get here. Because if we could see the stuff that's in the night, listen, I don't like snakes. And there's stuff that's got eyes that's looking and watching. If I knew that what was there, I would not keep walking. As a matter of fact, I would probably mess my pants and run the other way. And so much of our spiritual journey is that, is that we get to walk in the night and trust the one that's walking with us, that his eyesight can see where we're going and that the new day is coming. With a new morning in Jesus, it provides us a couple of things. The first thing in verse 24 is it provides us our exact portion. It says this in verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now, this is a reminder back to the people for the for the movement out in Exodus. And so that for forty day, for 40 years, the Hebrew people received the exact portion that they needed every single day of their life. That they could go out every single morning. There's a new morning. They've gotten through night. New morning, they go out and they pick up the exact amount of food that they need for themselves and for their family. Nothing more, nothing less. Exactly. And they were fulfilled and they were satisfied. And here's the cool thing is that God is so concerned with the minutia of our life that he actually says, hey, listen, you weary are going to weary along the journey and along the journey. So one day out of the seven days, I need you to rest. And because I'm so concerned about your soul, I'm so concerned about your journey. I want you to rest in this rest. I'm going to provide enough food for you that normally you go out enough for one day because I'm so worried about you needing rest and I want to provide for you. You go out this Other day, the day before rest, and you grab enough for two days, and don't cook it all, but prepare it for the two days you're ready to go, and that you will have enough. I will give you your exact portion for exactly what you need. Some days it's one day, some days it may be two days so you can rest, but it's exactly what you need when you need it. Now in great American culture, like we don't want just one day, we want a week's worth of provisions. We think every day should be Thanksgiving and that we should be able to just gorge and have. And listen, God says, listen, we do not need all of that stuff. Your exact portion of me, each time, each day is all you need. Joy, I will sustain you. I am sufficient. I am more than enough. Go out and get the things that I provide for you every day. As a matter of fact, Jesus even says, he says to us to pray, this day give us our daily bread. Daily Eat with me. I will provide for you daily. God is our exact portion. He will sustain us and fulfill us and will give us exactly what we need. Your portion is sufficient and satisfying. The deal is, is that we don't trust that God's going to show up every single day and provide for us exactly what we need. And so there's days that we are to every day go out and get just a little bit, enough for that day, but we're lacking trust and we're like, hmm. I don't know, Wednesdays, God doesn't really work really well on Wednesdays. I have bad Wednesdays, so I'm going to grab a little bit more, right? And God's like, no, same thing every day. I'm sufficient every day. I'll provide for your needs. Don't get greedy. Just get what you need. I will provide it. And here's what, because tomorrow's coming. And we're afraid of what tomorrow has. And God says, just, just let's just handle today. I've got tomorrow. Let's just handle today. I'm providing for you today. Get in it. So a new day provides for you exactly the portion that you need. A new day in Christ also provides for you hope to keep moving forward. In verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him and to the ones who seek him. In other words, there's this idea that we have a hope in him and so we seek after, we we pursue him. There's this idea of pursuit and wanting. And Hebrews 10.23 talks about this idea of hope this way. This is in the message version, so it's a little different. So let's do it. Full belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. So this is covenant language. So this is that trust thing. So there are moments where we don't trust that God's going to provide and he's not going to be sufficient. He's not going to give us our daily needs. And so it's those moments where we feel like we're hanging on by the edge and God's, got a hold of us, and we're like, we let go and saying, God, I'm done with this. And the covenant language is we can let go. But God says, I never let go. His grip has got us, and he will never let go of us as a part of that covenant. There's moments where we're like, I don't trust. I don't think you're going to do it. I don't think you're going to come through for tomorrow. Yeah, I don't care about I know that you've done this, but I'm going to let go. And he continues to hold on to us in this covenant language. And that's the hope. That we have. That there are those times where we're so frustrated. Our souls are so weary that we think we can't do it anymore. And we're right. We can't do it. And so we let go and God says, I got it. Rest in me. Quit trying to do it in your own effort. Quit trying to provide for yourself. I have got it. The other thing that we see in verse 26 is that God is always on time. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation for the Lord of the Lord. Good things come to those who wait. Let me say that again. Good things come to those who How many of you are good at waiting? No, I'm serious. Like if you go to line and there's somebody in that ten aisle line and they have twelve twelve items, I've seen you get mad. I've seen your patience. We're not good at waiting. We, we we get mad here in LaGrange. We get mad because of, the, of Round Top and some of these different things and it creates a little traffic jam and we have to wait through the little light, the light in town more than once. We're like, there's a traffic jam. Get these people out of here. I don't want to wait on them anymore. We do not like waiting. We are a microwave society. Waiting is good for us. Waiting is good for the soul. It's a Sabbath rest. Again, in waiting, we realize at that moment that we're not in control. And we are a people, and the more educated we become, the more we have a difficulty waiting on other people and on waiting on circumstances. And one of the greatest principles of God's word is for us to just wait. Wait. And that doesn't mean that we're not busy doing stuff for him or doing things, but that there are times that we're praying for something, we're asking for something, and we want to kind of force the door open, and God just says, Just, just wait. In exactly the right time, I will show up. When I think about this idea of waiting, I think about the story of Lazarus. And that Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, had, had told, sent a little DM tweet to Jesus and his disciples and said, "Hey, Hey, Jesus... I want you to know that Lazarus is dying. He is sick. And Jesus hears it, and he goes, oh, he'll be fine. He'll, he'll, it'll be all right. And so a few days later, he gets another little tweak, and he gets another little DM, and he, he has noticed the fact that, hey, Lazarus is not only sick, but he's dead. He's like, okay. So he waits a couple more days, and then he begins his journey back. And the very moment that he shows up, Mary and Martha, what do they do? They run to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we told you a week ago that Lazarus was dead and you didn't show up. We told you that he was sick and you didn't show up on time and now he's dead and you can't do nothing about it. Jesus says, do you believe in the resurrection? Yes, I believe in the resurrection. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Jesus, you did not show up on time. And, and they go through this whole dialogue back and forth and Jesus says, look, in the midst of tears, I understand that you're disappointed. I understand that you were in a situation and a season and you were begging and you were pleading and you wanted your answer on your time in your way, but I'm not about you. So Jesus walks over to the cave where Lazarus is at and he says, watch this. Lazarus, and I believe that the reason he had to say Lazarus, because if he just said come out, all the dead people would have come out. Okay? Because he's powerful. And so he's, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And again, because my mind is weird, I imagine Lazarus bouncing out of there, and somebody's gotta move the rock to, to get him. And listen, this is how dead he was. The very first thing out of their mouth is, he stinks. Dead people stink. He stinketh, it says in the King James. He stinketh. He was dead, dead. He came to life. Because see, there's those seasons where we're asking God to rescue us. And where God, you're not showing up on time. And he's like, your time is not my time. My time is glory time for me. And so the very thing that they, Mary and Martha were worried about, Lazarus and Jesus was like, listen, people need to see Lazarus come to life. Because can you imagine Lazarus walking through town in Jerusalem, Starbucks, and somebody's taking a sip of coffee. And Lazarus walks by with toilet paper hanging off of his heel. And they're like shooting Starbucks frappuccinos everywhere. And they're like, I just went to Lazarus' funeral. And they're like, no, Jesus just raised him. And they're like, that is the Christmas story waiting Sometimes we think we got this little Jesus like listen I got something even bigger than that. Because I guarantee you people were following Lazarus around and saying tell me what it was like to be stinky and to be raised from life. Raised to life. That's our stories. But if you've been around church long enough you forgot that you stink. At Waiting on salvation. I think about the story of the lady that waited for 12 years. She Because if she had a a physical ailment that kept her from worship, that kept her from her community, that kept her from literally being hugged by anyone. She had to go to HEB at a time when no one would possibly be there except the cashier. Because if she was seen, someone might want to touch her and she would have to disclose, I have this physical ailment and you can't touch me. It would make you unclean. And so for 12 years, she's struggling with, she spent thousands and thousands of dollars and nothing would fix it. And so finally, in complete desperation, she heard about the Messiah. She heard the stories of Jesus. She heard all these things going on. She says, listen, nothing else has worked. I've got to find something. And so in the midst of a crowd, again, she she finds her way in the midst of the crowd to hide because she doesn't want anybody to know. And she reaches out and touches the cloth of Jesus. And the power leaves him to heal her because in faith she reaches out. She had waited for 12 years, patiently crying out, saying, God, please do something for me. And in that moment she reaches out and God heals. Waiting on the Lord is worth it. Waiting on the Lord for salvation. A weary world wants to rejoice. I want us to remember that at one point we used to stinketh. And that that's our story. And that a part of that, that as people look and say, why do you have hope? Why am I wearied by the world and you have hope? Because you can say, I once stinketh, but now I was raised to new life. That I'm not perfect, I am not. I don't have it all together, I still struggle, there's still seasons Why where, where I am wearied by the world. But I know that you can have new life, you can be raised to new life. You can be healed if you just wait. Some of you are at a place where you're saying, hey, I need this salvation thing. You've been thinking about it, and so maybe today's your day that you need salvation, that you need to, a... listen, Christians 25, 30, 40 years, they don't have it all figured out. If you're thinking, I need to know everything to jump into this Jesus salvation thing, you're never gonna figure it out. Just jump in and begin to swim. And it may be that you start swimming with sharks, it may be that He puts you in the shallow end. Here's the deal, wherever you jump in and He begins, He's gonna be swimming with you. So just jump in some of you that have received Christ and you're just in a season of listen I know what it means to be saved from my from death and now i'm in life, but now I Feel like I need salvation. I need saving from this situation My prayer is is that you will Struggle and fight and prayer and ask and wait patiently for the new morn to come Because here's what I can tell you there is a light coming But in the darkness is where we begin to trust and to struggle and to not be dependent upon our own eyes and our own wisdom and our own knowledge, but dependent upon his eyes, his wisdom, and his knowledge. And the one thing that you can know that you can have hope is morning is coming. Because he's faithfully day after day after day, the new light has come. So wait in and struggle in and know that you're not alone and he's with, he's with you in it. In the midst of the darkness, our prayer is may you either know him or struggle with him to find the new light in the new day. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Father, that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that literally our entire calendar and world has changed because of this babe in a cave in Bethlehem several thousand years ago. That Father, even those that may not want to even acknowledge him, acknowledge him every day that they put something in their calendar. Father, I pray that during this season that we would be more open to sharing our story of Salvation, our story of once being dead but brought to new life. That it's not about us, it's about you. That Father, that at one point we were untouchable, we were unclean and nasty, and we had something that kept us from you. But Father, you are the great healer. Father, may you be brought glory and honor. Through our lives. Through the way that we shop. Through the way that we drive. Through the way that we sing these songs. And Father, I pray that in this world of weariness. That you would give rest to our souls. And Father, that we would push pause. And truly rest in you. Find our identity to know that our purpose and our meaning is found in the King of Kings, that they have wrapped in the on the clothes. It's in his name we pray.